They're all just very hungry people that want to succeed at all costs. And I think that's the difference between us and a corporate firm is we're working 24-7. This is when I feel like I made it because these people that I had trained, I'm getting emotional. This is so stupid. You're going to make me cry. Yeah, don't look at me because then you won't cry. Okay, okay. I've never been afraid of failure, intimidated by it. And as a trial lawyer, if you lose, you better get, the best thing to do is get right back up there and try a case. Because success lies in the balance of life and law, we're here to help you tip the scales. We get personal about what it really takes to run a law firm, from marketing to manifestation. I'm Maria Monroy, president and co-founder of Lawring, a leading SEO agency for ambitious law firms. For our first episode ever, I sat with Bob Simon live at his conference, Lottie and my voice was practically gone. We were running a mile a minute trying to launch this podcast. Bob shares how his personal experiences led him to be the lawyer and leader he is today. We discuss what it takes to actually fund your firm, keeping your ego in check, Justice HQ, and work-life balance. My name is Robert Simon. You can call me Bob, but if you call me Bob at the office, you're going to get an angry truck driver because that's my dad's name too. I'm a trial lawyer out of California, offices California, Texas, and founded a company called Justice HQ on top of the Justice Team, which is my law firm. I'd like to speak very quickly. Clearly. <laughs> so much of what we think we can do comes from what we can imagine. And I want to dig into the inspiration behind your firm. You're pretty open about the reason you and your brother wanted to open a firm. Can you share that story with us? I mean, I came from, like I said, my dad was a truck driver, family, five kids. My brother and I are tied for the oldest. We're twins. And Wait, no. Who was born first? I am. Six minutes. Duh. Been telling him what to do ever since. No, but really we grew up in Pittsburgh and, you know, we always had aspirations of helping a lot of folks. Um, my uncle was, he was paralyzed due to a drunk driver. We always, you know, were passionate about helping people because seeing his attorney fight for him. And, you know, he was what's called a press man. So he worked at, you know, literally taking the press and pressing the newspapers. So very physical job. And, you know, you see what happens if you hurt a laborer, what could do to the family. But, you know, after seeing what this lawyer was able to help my family with specifically and give them a quality of life, be able to have like medical care he got for life, they were able to like redo their home, branched out so that he was in a wheelchair, able to have these things. My cousins were able to have, you know, scholarships, funds put together for them, trust put together for them. I always wanted to try cases and do these things and then never really was taught the business side of stuff and kind of fell into it when started our own firm and just said, fuck it, we're going to do it. Did you and Brad decide to become lawyers at the same time? No, actually. So I was made the decision first to be a lawyer. He was going to be a Capitol policeman. Nobody knows that, but he... Uh, he stayed in DC, was going to do that, and then saw the passion. I mean, the first year of law school is like the fucking coolest thing ever. I, people think it's like the scariest thing. I loved it. I mean, I just got, I loved it. Came out here to Pepperdine in Malibu in California and never left. The first time I got on an airplane, I came to look at Pepperdine. Came out to Los first time, came across, and I got here and I was like, holy shit. I, now I get it. Now this is where I want to go. So I applied to like, three schools got into this one. I was like, I'm going to go ahead and go here. And then a year later, Brad, my twin brother came, he went to another law school in Los Angeles, Southwestern. And we just started hustling our asses off <laughs> while in law school with the vision of uh, working together and doing this. So yeah, that's how it went. But we worked at a small boutique firm where I did right out of my first year of law school and 
I was clerking for them and got Brad a job there after his first year of law school. And I was doing the personal injury stuff. He was doing some more transactional behind the scenes things. Um, and then, you know, three years after we built up a nest egg, we decided to start our own thing, and get it done. That's awesome. Were you afraid? I think everybody's a little afraid of every big step and opportunity, but I think I was more excited about it. I mean, what's the worst thing that can fucking happen if you fail? Like you go back to being an associate for somebody, right? I mean, that's that's literally the worst thing that could happen to you if you if you fail at starting your own firm as a lawyer. I didn't take out any loans. I didn't take any out of line of credits. I just saved up some money from other cases that I had settled that I brought in and working. I think my brother and I shared, I think we lived together until we got married. Really? So yeah, so we were like splitting this. Uh, it was actually a three bedroom place with another one of our buddies who's now the other third guy is uh, a partner at our firm does all the product liability stuff, Tom Conroy. So we all went to college together too. But yeah, we were like splitting this like podunk little place and uh, saving as much as we could. That's how we kind of started with bare bones and saving money. And then it just worked. I think a lot of lawyers are afraid to start a law firm. Like, what would you say to them? I would say, first of all, get a mentor. Now it's a lot easier. You know, this, I did my start my firm in 2010. This was way before there was a lot of people using social media for good to be able to help folks, to reach out to them and literally slide into their DMs for help. You had to stalk people to like go to conferences, find them and ask them to help you. How did you start your firm? How did you do it? Now you could just like find 50 million different people telling you how to do it, find somebody that actually does it well. I always say, don't take advice from people unless they're successful at the things that they're giving you advice on. Oh, absolutely. Oh, there's so many fake people though. So many. It's crazy. I'm a life coach. What the fuck does that mean? Like, what are you coaching me in? But yeah, you can find your law coach, I guess. Figure out how they did it to start their own firm and just follow the pattern. People have done it. The blueprint's out there. You just have to kind of follow lead with the right people to make sure that you do the correct blueprint and then believe in yourself and realize it's like, you're not going to flip a switch and automatically be like super profitable, right? It's going to take you, if you're PI lawyer, it's going to take 18 months to two years to start turning, turning in the black. I mean, just because that's a life cycle of a personal injury case, you know, unless you have other cases you brought with you or, you know, I know lawyers that they'll get a referral of a family friend that has like a huge case and they quit the next day. It's smart. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And they start their own firm. And, you know, I've had people partner with my firm and I'll split the fee with them and they start their own firm or they become off counsel with us. And that one case projects their career to do whatever they want. And you mentor a ton of people, ton of right? People, ton of people. Do they just DM you? All the time. My Instagram DMs were down for like half a day last week. And like, I almost had a fucking meltdown. Are you <laughs> that's, most of, that's most of where people like reach out to me texts, uh, WhatsApp. I do a lot of that when I'm international and then DM. Yeah. When you were like, do you have WhatsApp? I was like, wait, are you only Mexican? I thought only Mexicans knew about WhatsApp. Well, that's, I started, I've used, used WhatsApp for a long, long time. It's it, amazing. It's amazing. The voice notes. Yeah. I mean, it saves everything. So like I use WhatsApp when we started traveling internationally because it was free on Wi-Fi. So when we would travel, it was easier to communicate with folks. And like every, I have like, I must have 5,000 WhatsApp groups in my phone. That's crazy. Family groups, fun groups, like different groups of friends, different groups of lawyers. And that we started, that's how one of the ideas for Justice HQ happened is we were on different chat rooms with different sets of lawyers that we were mentoring or helping with cases, like whole other firms. And there, we were like, start with a wait, couple. Wait, wait, tell us about Justice HQ. Okay, so Justice HQ is a membership-based 
company where lawyers pay membership in exchange, they get the office space solution. If they so choose to 24 seven access to all the workspace solutions, you have to be approved to get in. So members have to vote you in unanimously. Oh, I've heard there's some people you have not let in. There are some people we have not let in. And look, it's it, the members dictated. If somebody's a crook or a creep or a bad lawyer, they're just not jerk. getting, or a jerk. They're just not getting in. Because you, if you're going to eventually maybe share office space with somebody or be on the same virtual platforms or chat rooms with people, you have to generally like everybody you're around. It's a quality of life thing too. So they get 24-7 access to the workspaces, to everybody digitally. There's support in person, mentorship groups. We have people with their media. There's a social media team. We have a case exchange. People access cases. People can create their own webinars, anything they want. There's podcast rooms. They can do their own trial technique stuff, whatever it may be. But there's different, within Justice HQ, there's different pockets of lawyers that do different things. Everybody's consumer-based in some form or fashion, but some people specialize in motion writing that's there for contract or a percentage of the fee. Some people just like to litigate. Some people just like to try cases. Some people just like to bring in a shit ton of business and then partner with lawyers that do the best of what they do. Some people are specialists in sexual abuse cases. Some people in brain injury. Some people like me in spine cases, right? So it's about the over-specialization of law and minimizing people's overhead greatly. So if you have this great, what I predict, consolidation of law firms with what's, I think, happening in other states and will come to California, is it allows- Two firms in California just acquired two other big firms. So these these big advertising firms are acquiring one another because I think they see the writing on the wall too, where they're going to have Amazon law come in and they're going to want the people in the best place to succeed. For them, it's who has the best contracts with all of the media contracts with television, ad space that have already been bought in the predetermined contracts, they have to acquire these companies and brands to get those cases. And then what I've developed is, I believe for Justice HQ, the specialists of litigators and trial lawyers that can easily plug into that system. So that's part of the case exchange that we have at Justice HQ is we're going to turn on the ability to, for select non-members to put cases into the specialist group to see who wants to partner with them on those cases. Because it's, as you've seen it before, a lot of people have a a flood problem where they have a lot of cases and they don't know where to put them. That's a great problem. It's a great problem to have, but people, I've heard, you know how people are intimidated by that, Maria? I get too many cases, what do I do? It's like, you fucking idiot. This is like the best problem you could have. (laughs) Wow. Every lawyer's dream you would think, right? That sounds like an amazing problem. It is, but they pull their hair out and it's like, we'll just start collaborating with other folks and then let them start to give up a percentage of the case to then outsource a little bit more and then you can grow more, you know. It, it took me a little while to learn that 100% of a million dollars is less than 50% of 50 million. And you end up doing less work too and having more fun, so. Yeah, how many cases do you get referred? I probably get shop 50 cases a week. That's ridiculous. Yes, these are all from other lawyers across the nation, mostly California and Texas, mostly California, probably 80%. But we say yes to maybe four, five. Yeah, I mean, when you're getting that many, you gotta... But yeah, and it's the same thing. So that's the same flood problem I just discussed. What happens to those other cases? Because those lawyers are still looking for quality lawyers to litigate or try them. So that's what Justice HQ is there for, in my opinion, is you still have these quality lawyers that have this, while they have their own separate firms within Justice HQ, they're all solos. Justice HQ is just a membership-based place. It's not a law firm. But, you know, if I can't take this, maybe Joe Solo can. That's an excellent at that type of premises case, for instance. Maybe they just do premises cases. Well, I don't want to take it. It doesn't meet my injury threshold, but look at this person with low overhead. They'll do it on a fee split with you and crush it for you. So yeah. You've got quite a community. Where are you guys at right now? I know you have an LA. I've been to your LA Justice H. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And there's alcohol. 
And there's alcohol, of course. We're lawyers. It's a bar. So many snacks. Good snacks. Yes. And some good ones that are good for you and some that are bad for you. I love my big beef jerky guy. Well, anyway, I digress. LA, downtown LA, we got a big space by the courthouses. And then we have Orange County, uh, Santa Ana, uh, San Diego. By the time the Strawberry Airs will be open. Amazing. And then we will have Torrance. So we'll give about a four-week lag in between the two. That's a big one. And South Bay will be open. And they're working on a few other ones. So we've always, the eyes next will be San Francisco and then the Valley in California. People want to these up tomorrow. But in order for us to have these spaces up, everything has to be in place for the quality control. You have to have the big mentorship firms like mine, the Simon Law Group. And in San Diego, it's going to be um, Schreiber Singleton. I saw that. They're awesome. Great lawyers, great people. They're going to be in the spaces with the members in San Diego to help mentor them, get them cases to work on, these types of things. Because they, again, get a lot of cases. They do a lot of fire litigation, mass torts, and government liability trials. Chris Dolan's a big member of ours. He's in San Francisco. I love him. He's the best. He's Most interesting so cool. man ever. So open and honest and authentic. I Oh, my goodness. I could tell you some stories about Chris. He's, just, he's a great human being. Saved my ass many times. But that's a caliber of what it takes, I think, to get in. People that are very selfless. I don't know. It's just a new way to practice law and have fun. Yeah, you, I love it. You've got quite a community. Yeah, yeah. But going back to when you started your law firm, how have your goals and vision of what is possible shifted over the years? It has shifted greatly. Where it, In the beginning, I was getting a lot of off-the-street cases, like just from hustling, going to like chiropractor events or going to like swap meets and shit like this. You I know? mean, you're amazing at networking. Yeah. I mean, that's, I was just master networker and getting cases and these are, you know, off from people. And then I was like, you know what? I want to learn how to like try cases the right way. And I'd done a few by myself and done very well and starting to get a name for myself. I was like, well, I want to see how like the big dogs do it. So I partnered with and give up 50% of the fee on cases to do case with Brian Panish, Gary Dordick, Arshamampur, and had the honor of trying cases with them. And it was like, holy shit, this is next level. So I just learned how they do it and paid that 50% attorney's fees and ended up making more than I would have had I done the case by myself at 100% of the fee. Very good you know, learning lesson. And then from there, I started trying my own cases and getting very, very big verdicts. And all of a sudden I was flooded with other lawyers. Hey, can you try these cases for me? Okay, you know, I'll do that. I'll do that. And then it's like, well, now we need to hire more people. Right. And it just happened organically where we just, just hired very talented folks and then found the right position for them. People make the mistake of hiring for a specific need at their firm rather than hiring a person and seeing what they can do well. You have some amazing lawyers that work for you. And it's now these people are like Harvard trained. We have one guy from Georgetown actually, but no one's really an Ivy League person. They're all just very hungry people that, that want to succeed at all costs. And I think that's the difference between us and a corporate firm is we're working 24-7. I mean, not working, working all the time, but you're always on. You got to be on. If you're in a trial, you're working all the time. And everybody's working on the eat what you kill method. Everybody. So bonuses are structured that way. So it gives everybody the incentive to, as a firm, individually push further, do better for the client and maximize everything. So you're hiring lawyers with the right mindset. Correct. And I mean, we could talk about mindset for hours and hours and hours, but... If you could just point to a few experiences that are milestones in your career, what are your top three? I'll tell you, I know what number one is professionally. So this was probably 2015, 2016, maybe. So five or six years into our firm and like, you know, had some good success, getting some big cases, big results. And there was a time where I had like 
a few cases on appeal. And when you're on appeal and there's a lot of costs sitting up there and potential fees, it could really fuck with your firm, your profitability, because you just have money sitting stale there. And my brother and I were worried, you know, there was a couple of years where we didn't make shit. Like it was just put it back into the firm, not making anything, but you have to trust in yourself. How did you push through that? We made a decision that we we're going to hire the right people and take out, at that point, we had a line of credit with Advocate Capital where we had to take money out to be able to hire people to weather the storm until we get paid on. These ones we know we'll get paid on and we're getting interest on these verdicts. Or are we going to downsize or, or, you know, these other decisions we can make? We're like, no, fuck it, we're going to do this. So the first one, I think it was 2014 and 15, I tried a case and got a very big verdict on. They had appealed, but we weathered the storm. I remember the day that it happened when the, the appellate court struck down. They're like, no, this verdict's good. You owe it. And then... Insurance company still trading a discount, but they had to pay us a lot of money. How much money? They probably paid six million for that back. That was a lot, right? That was I mean, that's a more lot than now. enough to like, yeah, now. But it was to like feed our firm for a few years. And when that had happened, then the next one right after that had happened, that was around the four and a half mark. And then within a few months, a few other big ones fell. So there was a huge domino effect. But I was still in this problem, and this is what I I coach a lot of lawyers on this. Now, when you were building your firm, don't put yourself at the top of the pyramid. Put your ego at the side. Because if you build a firm based off of you, your name, you're the person, you have to try every case, you have to talk to every client, you're going to be stressed to fucking all of it. So I made a very conscious decision to try to find other lawyers that had the same personality that I do to train them, to try cases like me, train a system so that I didn't have to be the top of that pyramid that all these other lawyers bring me cases that wanted me to try the case. That's like some serious delegation. Serious delegation. Delegate and trust. You have to. If you want to scale your law firm, if you want to have quality of life, you have to delegate and trust and hire well. You have to. You have some learning curves, but if you hire the right people and you have the right culture, it will work. But weren't you worried, I do this and then they're just going to leave and start their own firm? Would you rather invest in an employee and they leave or you don't and they stay? I live on that mantra. And I have a few, I've had a few great lawyers leave. Sometimes they start as up counsel, they start their own thing and I... I want them to be successful. We work on cases later. And I, I encourage them, like if you reach a point where you could do this yourself and you can run the business and bring in cases, do it. There's nothing stopping you from doing it. Uh, but the number two was, there was a case where I was in another trial and this firm brought us a case and it was, it was, a, it was a good case. It was difficult, but it was a good case. And I had two young lawyers that had both co-tried a case with me. One case. They were like fucking Padawans that weren't ready for the wild. But I was like, you know what? This lawyer don't care if the two of you try this case, go do it. And they're like first year lawyers, second year lawyers. And they went up into Ventura and I remember when they got the verdict and it was like a $4 million verdict. And this was like a $100,000 offer, but the odds were all against them. And they won. I remember crying. I'm getting emotional because it was like, this is when I feel like I made it. Because these people that I had trained, I'm getting emotional. This is so stupid. You're going to make me cry. Yeah, Don't look at me because then you won't cry. Okay, okay. But- I remember that feeling like finally it's like reached the point where these people that I've trained to do so well have replicated the system. And now I don't have that pressure of having to try every single case. I mean, you were just in Europe for six weeks. Was in Europe for six weeks and we still had two trials go out and I was still managing, helping the trial teams do their thing. I had finished my trial right before I left and had one scheduled that just settled when I came back. But that was the luxury that I wanted to build to be able to spend time with my family. So by having that moment and then after that success, that these two first-year lawyers, and now this is, they appealed, they lost the appeal. We even got a lot more than that. I think they paid a lot more, I mean, a lot of money because of the interest and the prejudgment costs, but they made a name for themselves. And now they started getting referred cases in. 
and then people wanted them to try the cases and were comfortable of having them try the cases. So that's how it just, it, it was able to scale the law firm and more importantly, give me a quality of life without being stressed all the fucking time. I don't know what a number three is with the, uh, with the law firm. It's probably starting just to you. Wow, you didn't ask personal. I have so many personal stuff. I know stuff. you do. And you have a, a third baby girl third on the baby, way. Third baby, like any day. We adopted our first and I'll, I mean, it was the best thing ever. And then out of nowhere, got pregnant with the next and the next. And, you know, my wife is a fucking rock star. Like oh. She runs her own companies and she's, she's, yeah. And she's beautiful. And she's beautiful. Beautiful. People look at me like, how the fuck do you pull that I out? agree. Yeah, I agree. Everybody does. But I can talk. I mean, I can bullshit. I think that's how I got her. No, but like she inspires the crap out of me. And she, I mean, she wakes up morning, she's got to deal with shit with her companies and like deal with things. And I think you have to have... As a law firm owner, you have to have a good partner. I don't mean a partner at your at your firm. I mean somebody at home that understands some days you're going to suck. Some days you're going to be in a trial or be somewhere where you have a blank stare on your face and you're not going to be there. And, and they got to know that. Like, and it's, we're doing these conferences. We have to do these things. You do it for business and you're not going to be home all the time. You don't have a predictable schedule and you just have to have somebody that you're, you're yin to your yang. It's so important. People ask me all the time, like, and right now we haven't said it, but we are here live at Lodi Gras. Yeah. Which is amazing, by the way. I'm not just saying that. Like, <laughs> it really is such a cool conference. Yeah, it's cool. It's fun. It's so much fun. But people ask me, like, how do you, one person one ask, well, of course, a guy, it's like, how does your husband let you come to these things? You know, you get that question all the time, but it's like, you have to. Oh, absolutely. My husband's the best. And like, at my firm, my my twin brother does most of the behind the scenes stuff and you know, he's, he's outside of work, got a lot of stuff going on. He's, I mean, the stuff he has to do is just monumental what he, what he has to do. And so he spends a lot of time at home and doesn't go to all these conferences and do these things. And it's, he trusts me and some of these other lawyers that we train to go out here and, and do what we do best, talking to juries, talking to people, networking. Are you guys super different? We are. You're way more outgoing, right? Way more outgoing. But he could be, I think, if he wanted to, but he loves just sitting at home in his underwear, just pulling pieces. <laughs> I should have brought him on. You would love Brad. Brad's just a different, the way he thinks is just very, he's the guy like at the firm where, because we, you know, we started the firm, we run it together. We have other partners, but you know, he kind of just, what he says goes, Brad's like the guy that you have to fact check everything. And there'll be times where he'd be like, why the fuck are you spending money on that, Bob? Or we're not taking this case. Like I fall in love with every client that walks through the door. So he don't let me do it anymore. Or else I take every single case, which whatever, it is what it is. So he's the boss? He's the boss. Was the level of success you now have always part of the blueprint? I never started the firm thinking that I needed a certain level of success. Mine was always, can I achieve financial freedom at home? spending time with my family, not worrying about shit. That's always my, my A1. So it does, it's never a dollar figure for me. In fact, I don't even look at the bank accounts. My brother, we just talked about, will tell me when I need to like take money. <laughs> uh, it's those type of things. Like it's not, I've never been in it just to, for a dollar number, if that makes sense. It's just. So it was about helping people. It was helping people. Yes. I mean, I, that's where I think if you, really, if that's your mantra, you're going to do well in this industry. If you just want to help people, if you always do the right thing, like Spike Lee, always do the right thing, you're going to do well. I always had the vision in mind though, I'm going to help myself, not with a monetary thing, but with a quality of life thing. From the very beginning, the very you beginning, I started my firm when I was 29 years old and I didn't have kids yet. I was dating my wife at the time. I knew we were going to get married. And it was just, I want to spend time 
with my family when we have one. And so I have to build the firm to make sure that that happens. Like my dad, truck driver and, you know, working his ass off all the time, but he would get home in his UPS outfit and coach our sports. And the best time of the year was two weeks. We would drive from Pittsburgh to Myrtle Beach, 12 hours in a fucking converter band that he put beds in the back. And there's little kids, we're one of five jumping on each other and doing shit. It's the best time of our life that we got to spend time with our family and our dad. And I was like, I want to give that to my family most of the time. So my highlight of my day is dropping off my daughter preschool, picking her up from preschool, right? These are things that I always wanted to be part of and then still being able to work in between and do stuff. So that's it. Did you ever think it couldn't be done? I never thought that way. I always thought I'm going to will this into existence no matter what. And do you believe your statement is true of anything? I do. I think if you put it out there and you actually work hard to get it, it will happen. People always tell me I'm the luckiest person on the planet, which I think there's certain truths to that. But I think luck is certainly calculated. And if you keep putting yourself in a position to succeed, that's not called luck. It's called something else. I agree. I totally think I'm big on manifestation, yep. but not like the secret type of manifestation. It's manifestation with intent, meaning you're actually trying to achieve what you believe you can achieve. Correct. And continuing no matter what. I think a lot of people either have a fear of failure and that stops them or they fail and they don't get back up. I play baseball my whole life. It's a game of failure. Baseball is if you're hitting 300, if you are failing 70% of the time, you're an all-star. You're one of the best in the game. Failure. So I've never been afraid of failure, intimidated by it. And as a trial lawyer, if you lose, you better get, the best thing to do is get right back up there and try a case. The case I talked about where it was on appeal and it came down. We finally had hit that crest after we were like starving for a few years. When I tried that case, I had lost one right before. Six week product liability case, a lot of money into it and lost. And I was remember walking on the beach like shit, like this is bad. My wife was with me. She's like, like what should I do? She's like, go try the next case. And I wasn't even I ready it. for it. And I was like, fuck, I'm doing it. So the next one I was like, should we get a continuance? It was the case that I hit big. Um, and that case I ended up losing, ended up we got granted a new trial because I did get screwed over. So still kind of in undefeated. I think I've lost one case out of like 50 or 60 trials, but- Jesus. Yeah, I've got a good record. That's amazing. Yeah, and I used to try hard fucking cases. Now I'll be honest with you, I try some of the easier ones, um, but now I'm gonna start doing more passion projects that maybe have a, a civil justice swing to it that I know I'll probably lose, but I don't give a shit. So we'll see what happens. But as long as I still have that one thing that is important to me, which is quality of life and being around the family, then I'm good. Do you think that people think you have a bigger ego than you do? I think people absolutely think I have a bigger ego than I do because I have a big social media presence and I do a lot of stuff. I have a very low ego. If people ever been around me, I don't give a shit. I actually make a point not to be highlighted. If you ask anybody about my firm, I try to promote them more than me. I like to put other people in the limelight more than myself. But sometimes if I have to be in the front of something, it's because I have to be. It's because I need you to go do this or I need you to speak on this. It's because I have to be. All lawyers have some sort of ego, but I think the least amount that you have makes you more successful. People do too much shit based off of fucking ego. Interesting, because I mean, lawyers, they have big egos or at least there's that perception. People always tell me like, oh my God, it must suck to work with lawyers. And I'm like, I love it. It depends on who you work with. Exactly. Our clients are the best. My community is the best. Like I met you last year yeah. and I feel like I've known you forever. I feel the same. It's only been last year. Wow. Isn't that crazy? That is fucking insane. No, but I, I judge a lot of people of how humble that they are, you know, how willing they would be to do like stupid, funny shit. Like you, like if you're around me most of the day, like I'm just in, 
gym shorts and a t-shirt and a ball cap. That's like standard operating procedure. I hate wearing suits. I'll do it if I have to. I'm in a suit and you're not. I know. Well, you just presented, but I didn't present one either. But, you know, I I judge people a lot like how flashy they need to be about stuff. Like I'm almost humiliated by my wealth sometimes. I try to like, if I'm doing something that I think is, oh God, this is just too much. Like, I just don't want people to see that. That's all the way I've always felt. It's kind of like embarrassed by it. Interesting. Is that maybe like something that comes from childhood? Because you didn't grow up with money, right? Yeah, I didn't grow up with money. I think maybe it does come from childhood and I just don't want animosity with people or thinking like, oh, he feels that way because look how much money he has. It's like, I just don't want people to feel that way. Like it's, I still squeeze the last bit of toothpaste out of every little thing. I know this is the way that I was wired, you know, it's just, but then I'm really, asked my wife this story and she'd be like, Bob doesn't even change his own light bulbs in the house. I was like, I had to hire a guy one time. You know why? He's like, I don't, I'm not gonna have time to find all these fucking light bulbs. I gotta go work and do other things. It was well, a time, time value. Is money. That's what I say, time, time is, is money. Time is your most valuable <laughs> it is. asset because you can be spending it with your family or you could be trying a case exactly. or mentoring or whatever. Exactly. It's funny. People think that I'm competing with them and things. It's really funny. Like I see these things and I'm just like, come on, I'm not in competition with anybody. I think people are definitely very jealous. And what's funny is, is that jealousy can be used in a positive way to see what can be done, especially with your situation, because it's not like you came from money. I've never been a really jealous person. I think it's stupid and it's it's an insecurity and I'm not really a very insecure person. I could give give a shit. Um, like my wife, like you said, is very attractive and people are like, aren't you worried that like people are gonna be hitting her on time or doing things? Like, no, dude, like she loves me, we'll be fine. Like it's just, people get so insecure about stupid shit and it's how marriages fail, partnerships break up because insecurities and stupid jealousy. So whatever, that's why I work with all family. That's something that I think is so neat. You literally brought your whole family into business. Yeah, my mom, my dad, my dad's new wife, all my brothers and sisters, my sisters both run Justice HQ with my brother-in-law. My brothers are all lawyers at our firm. Yeah, it's fucking fun. You see, my family doesn't get along. Like, how do you? (laughs) (laughs) I think as we shared one bathroom growing up that we just had to get real close. I think adversity is actually so good for kids. Mm -hmm. And like, I worry that I'm raising like kids that don't have that much adversity. I grew up poor, so. Yeah. I, we, I talk to my wife all the time. And that's why we travel on, do stuff with our kids to have them be in these weird adventurous things where we're like have to band together. And like we were, we went to Europe for six weeks. Fuck it. My wife was eight months pregnant. We had five and a two-year-old, but our, our kids are so close. Like it was the vacation was the best because of them growing so close to each other. Cause they had to be, they were together, together had to play together and then just, just through adversity and having to travel and be in these weird situations. It just made them thicker. We're going to Europe next month and I'm a little scared. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. Anything that you think helped you become who you are now from childhood? Anything your parents did? Because oh. I think everything comes from childhood. My dad and mom would say all the time, like, what's the worst that could happen? Like, who cares if you fail? Just go out and do it. They'd support every single thing that you've ever done. I remember, like, first time I had, a, like, a, my first verdict, and was, I tried to dog by case. It wasn't, wasn't supposed to win. My old firm sent me out there, went to Compton, my little briefcase, and got, like, 250000 Like, that's crazy. Like, for, it doesn't happen. People think it just happens. But I did it, and I remember, you know, calling my mom and dad when it happened because they were still in Pittsburgh at the time. My dad was like, remember this feeling, Bobby, because you're going to feel this feeling every month for the rest of your life because it's going to keep happening. I was like, well, that's actually, let's do it. I always like to do things that are new and fun now that 
this is why one of the reasons we started Lottergrat, Teresa and I, and a couple other people, I wanted to do something that was fun and do stuff that we wanted to see be done, like have headliners and artists that we wanted to hear and be around the lawyers and doctors and folks, law Jason, that we want to be around um, and to make it fun rather than stale and sleazy. And then, you know, doing bourbon approved. This other thing I do, I love whiskey. So let's just fucking have a talk show about it and just travel around and drink whiskey. Fine. My brother and I are doing a video game company around like a Dungeons and Dragons type thing. Why not? It's fun. We love doing it as kids. It sounds like you're creating your own reality. I like that. But yeah, I think we either create our own or get sucked into other people's. That's true. Yeah. So it's everybody, you live a choose your own adventure book and you get to pick how it goes. What do you wish you had learned in law school? Oh, actually, I just speak at Pepperdine all the time on this. And I wish that they told us how to run a business. I wish that they went into law school and that they had challenged students to create business plans. Lawyers, you go to the joint MBA program, you're in law school and you have to take a how you manage your law practice, have real people that are out in the real world come and teach it, not philosophy professors. I think that they should have you required to do like a one-year apprenticeship at a firm of what you want to do to learn how to have it when you, to learn how to actually run a firm and practice as you get out. I run several businesses now. I've never taken a business class in my life, ever. I wish that I had had an entrepreneur class or how to like raise money or do things. It was just fucking finding a mentor and winging it. Bob has created a life that he truly wants to live. By creating a thriving firm, he is able to hold space for what he sees as most important, family. Bob learned nearly everything he knows after he left law school. Catch us next week with me, Maria Monroy, president and co-founder of LawRank. Because success lies in the balance of life and law. We're here to help you tip the scales. Mm-hmm.